next case was presented by Dr. Ken Huffman to Drs. Graylo and Bud. This is a 76-year-old white male diagnosed eight years ago with left breast cancer, treated by simple mastectomy without an axillary lymph node dissection, stage unknown, probably one, and no postoperative treatment given. At routine follow-up in September of 2007, the patient was found to have an asymptomatic 3x5x4.2 centimeter left supraclavicular lymph node mass two months after a five-vessel cabbage. At this time, i.e. in December of 2007, his stress test was normal and his left ventricular ejection fraction was 56%. His serum creatinine was 1.7 and stable since surgery. Slides were sent to Mount Sinai in the city and AFIP, and both confirmed the diagnosis, quote, consistent with adenocarcinoma from a breast primary, unquote. Patient was referred. Physical examination besides the left supraclavicular lymph node mass showed one movable left axillary lymph node mass, but it's unclear from the notes from the surgeon whether or not the left armpit was examined. The patient's a lifetime non-smoker, rare drinker, extended disease workup is negative for a mass, CAT scan of the liver is normal without even fatty infiltrates. The patient lives with his wife of 54 years, who is in excellent health. He both have performance statuses of 0 to 1. A decision on chemotherapy was to be made in January, but their children flew up during the Christmas holidays for a discussion. Did you tell us ERPR her too? The ERPR and negatives are all negative. Same Which as, is actually males are even more commonly ER positive, so that's a little, but it happens. So Tom, what would you be thinking? So he's staged and there's no other metastatic disease, right? Just the two lymph nodes. Okay. My thinking would be then to treat him with chemotherapy after some period of time, if he responded well, a consideration then would be perhaps an axillary procedure and radiation. What kind of chemotherapy? I would probably start with a taxane-based regimen, I think. Bev? I, I, I don't know. I probably wouldn't. That's my gut feeling. You know, I think we don't have much data for it in this particular situation, but you could probably justify it. But I probably would not. Julie? So I do want to push you a little bit on the staging. So I heard he had a CT of the liver that was negative, and I didn't hear the rest of the staging. One thing that I'm thinking is nodes in particular are a bit tricky, and if I'm considering that maybe I'm going to radiate down the line, I really do want to know what nodal groups are involved. And There's pets- only two. His CAT scan of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis were all negative. Uh-huh. He had no referable pathology to bone or brain, uh-huh. normal function. So a CAT scan of the brain was not done, and a bone scan was not done. Oh, I would do a bone scan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would do a bone, and I don't care about the brain. I don't normally do at first recurrence. But for the nodes, especially because I'm thinking I might want my radiation oncologist to be involved later, I would consider in this particular case doing a PET because it might, you know, Nodes are negative on a CT based on size. And, you know, you can have hot one centimeter mediastinal nodes, for example. I wouldn't want to go to all the trouble of adding the localized therapy that Tom's described and then, like, miss an area. You know, like, if so, if the mediastinum is involved, which in some of the studies from our center, it would suggest that the biggest addition PET adds in terms of sites of disease not found in a classic good fine-cut contrast CT would be mediastinal nodes. And so it's important to me because if I'm going to radiate supraclav axillary later, I might want to add the mediastinal area. So that's, I, I don't know anything about PET scanning six months after a mediastinotomy oh, with oh, five-vessel oh. bypass. Sorry, because I, of I did rea- forget that part of the Because of reactive story. lymphadenopathy. Yeah. And, I mean, I would think that that might not be... 
So in this unique situation, I agree. I'm not sure what I would make of it, but I don't know. I might, no, I mean, I might I, still do it, but I, I totally agree. Right. I forgot that part of the story. So that's not an unreasonable thought. So this is an ER negative case. I'll just mention that SWOG tried to do a metastatic hormonal trial in men. And after being open for a full year, it was aromatase inhibitor and gonadal suppression. We had not enrolled a single patient. So we were forced to close it. We didn't have any accrual. And you just can't do male studies uniquely. I would obviously give chemo. I don't know. In this guy, I would consider taxane. And if I give an angiogenesis inhibitor, I do think there's probably some sense that they work better earlier rather than later in the course. But this is the kind of guy that depending on everything else about him, I wouldn't have trouble giving, you know, like capecitabine, you know, an oral regimen, modify the dose a little bit. If he wanted to stay out of the chemo room, I don't think that that's a crazy thought either. Bev? With capecitabine? Yeah. Either way? Mm -hmm. You know, I generally do, if I'm starting first-line chemo in the metastatic setting, at least think about it. So I would probably discuss it with him He's six months from his sternotomy. He's uh, healed up now and everything. So Oh, cleared, yeah. I'm with Tom. I'm kind of on the fence about it, although in general my philosophy is if I'm starting first-line chemo in the metastatic setting, I'm at least thinking about what it. What about this is getting both of you on the fence? I'm not quite clear what's different about this. It's really a regional recurrence at this point that technically, you know, it's all I hear is supraclavin axilla, and really, although it's recurrent, it's not stage 4 by definition, you know, that's kind of... It's kind of like inadequate first treatment yeah. to start with, presumably, axillary recurrence and then superclavicular recurrence. Alan? The argument against Bev here, I think, might be in the New England Journal of Medicine study, the toxicity was stroke and death, seen, if I recall, primarily in people who are older with cardiovascular disease. So certainly, this man would meet both of those criteria for increased risk of toxicity. Sam? I just had one question. I mean, I might start with chemotherapy because he was hormone receptor negative, but most of the men I've treated have been hormone receptor mm-hmm. positive. And at some point when you gave him a chemotherapy holiday, while he's on that holiday, I'd put him on tamoxifen. I mean, I would just... Even though you know, it's ER negative? You know, I've, I've had a couple of patients that have been ER negative that have responded. And I would... You know, if you're going to stop chemotherapy at some point, I would probably yeah. throw him on... Uh, I think it is a good point because of the natural history of this really suggests that it could be ER positive and maybe worth having it repeated. So I'd restain, yeah. as opposed to yeah. just, it, it, if I truly it, it believe he's ER negative... Act, actually, the entire block, including because mm-hmm. I didn't believe it, yeah. was sent to... to uh, actually, no, I mean, because I've only had... In 22 years of practice, I've only had three male breast patients. Mm-hmm. Two of three were second opinions from the East Orange VA. This is another... Okay. And I didn't believe it, which is why it got sent to Mount Sinai, where I did some training, and then it got sent to mm-hmm. AFIP, because pathologists didn't believe it, and they... Both said the same thing. This is breast cancer. I mean, this is ER, and they had mm-hmm. fresh tissue as well as formalin, and it was ERPR negative, and it is breast cancer. And in fact, the question that came up from both institutions, are you sure it's a male? You know, they call, you know, because we, all right, and, you know, because we'd written now it out as a male. that's an easy one. <laughs> you know, and I said, yes, that one I can tell you is true. But the question that came up was because they both said the same thing, that they yeah. had not seen it, but this is what it was. Anyway... We actually met after Christmas, and actually on a Saturday, so the kids were in, and we decided to treat him with Taxotere and Zalota. His big issue of everything was that he has a full head of hair, and he didn't want to lose his hair. That he, his whole thing was, you know, hair. So it also was part of that, I said with Zalota and Taxotere, he would probably lose some, but he wouldn't be as bad as me. 
So he'd be okay. So how is he doing now? He's fine. He's just started it. We're not doing the Larry Norton's Zalota. We're doing the standard. But I started him out at 1,000 milligrams per meter squared. And we follow up weekly with phone calls. He comes in every other week. And I have no doubt that we'll probably lower the dose a bit. My goal is to treat him for four to six months and see how he does. Why the choice of docetaxel as opposed to paclitaxel or nabpaclitaxel? Because that was the O'Shaughnessy thing with Taxotere and Zalota. I'm being a CLGB person. I'm always a paclitaxel person, but that was the reason why I did it. Metastatic first line. It was easy to do. It's standard. It was copied. No problems. Got it paid for. Any other questions? Well, just the breast cancer in a male, in addition to the difficult medical issues, it must be hard for a guy to have breast cancer because this is usually a disease of women and all the attention is paid to women. So how is this man dealing with the fact that he's a guy with what's usually seen as a woman's disease? His big issue was eight years ago when he was first diagnosed, and he was essentially abandoned. He had a tremendous problem of effemininity. He is a Korean War vet, so he couldn't figure out, you know, I've been through all this and was a Marine and this, and now he came up with this disease. When Dr. Love and I talked, I afterwards tried to go back to the East Orange VA. He wasn't East Orange. He was in the Manhattan VA to try to find the slides. Well, that was like a disaster area. I mean, besides getting consent and actually driving there for this to try to get it, they had no concept. We didn't even know that he was a patient for about two days. So he has worked his way through it and is actually in a support group at the hospital. And he is the patient. Because when he walked in the first time, they thought it was his wife, but it's him. He's fine. So he goes to a breast cancer support group. He goes to a breast cancer support group, and he just had his second meeting. And he's fine. Is there any family history to talk to him genetic testing? Zero. No. Is there family to have a history, I guess, is the other question. Yeah. There's no family, female breast cancer history whatsoever. The gentleman is Polish. His wife is Italian. It's an interesting mixed marriage of 50, from 1952 or 53 type of thing. We have a a male breast cancer advocate in our area who has a website and all and tries to bring male breast cancer patients together nationally. He happens to be an airline pilot, and he unfortunately has stage 4 NED, but he's maintained on endocrine therapy, so they won't let him fly. So he has a lot of time on his hands to do this, and so he would love any males to get his phone number, his website, etc., I don't remember the name of his website. I can look though. At, I'll yeah. Bug. So he is great because of this whole thing about being ostracized as a male. One of my first male breast cancer patients did go to a breast cancer support group, and the women were, you know, very encouraging of this and supported it, and he got a lot out of it. He then moved to Hawaii and went to his first support group meeting, and they booted him out. They told him he was not welcome at a breast cancer support group, and he immediately emailed me, and he's doing fine. But it was very interesting that one group was very supportive, and the other group didn't want him there at all. And so the Europeans are working to start a male breast cancer registry. We can't do trials of males exclusively. There just aren't enough swag. Tried it. But a male registry that would be international so we can collect data and try to look at biology, look at treatments, understand it a little bit better. So that's kind of going through the intergroup right now. I would also say I think it's important that males, if we can't put them on other trials, ought to be put into adjuvant breast trials. SO221, we allow males. And I think the NCI's position, if there's a biologic reason to exclude a person by race or gender, it's okay. But if there's not, they ought to be included. So I really think that they should be included in those trials. And if we had done that 20 years ago, by now we may have some information. We assume they respond as women do, but it would be helpful to have data. 